with the keyboard with the keyboard we 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 with the keyboard with the people of the United States in order to form a more perfect union establish justice ensure domestic tranquility provide for the common defense promote the general welfare and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America Welcome back my friends it is Constitution Thursday here on the big show me Dave along with John text machine is open 565 Dave 565-3283.com. You can also join the chat room if you so desire at KFIB1360.com. It is the time of the week when we turn to the words of the United States Constitution. We look at what it actually says, what it meant when it was written, how it's been interpreted, how it affects your life today. Most of all, what does it mean today? Why, why should we even bother anymore? The question I find myself asking... Unfortunately, more and more. So, it's a rather humorous scene in uh, what we have decided, John, is the greatest movie ever made, The Princess Bride, where Inigo Montoya, who is uh, in the revenge business, hired by Vizzini to kidnap Princess Buttercup and start a war with Gilder. The war with Gilder or against Gilder? Guild with, uh, against Gilder. Okay. I mean, either way. Anyway. You're fighting Gilder. <laughs> right. After the whole thing, uh, confrontation with the man in black, he, uh, the job has gone wrong. After, so he goes back after to the, the kidnapping has been thwarted. Right. He goes back to the beginning. And uh, there he waits for Vizzini. I am waiting for Vizzini. Keep your hoe there. Love that line. I, I, wish really you, I wish you could just play that part again. I... You don't I, prob- have I probably could. You don't have it on its own, do you? I, I sort of do, but sort of don't. Yeah. I probably could do it, but I... Is everybody out? Almost. There's a sponger giving us some trouble. Will you give him some trouble? Move. I am waiting for you, Vicini. You told me to go back to the beginning. So I have. This is where I am, and this is where I'll stay. I will not be moved. Hold there! I don't know, budge. Keep your hoda. But the prince gave orders. Sadi Vicini. When the job went wrong, you went back to the beginning. Well, this is where we got the job. So it's the beginning. And I am staying till Vicini comes. So there you go. <laughs> keep your holder. I just I do not budge. Keep your holder. It's amazing. There are a lot of lessons in that movie. There, there really, really are. are. There really are. And so, as I was uh, contemplating the Constitution and the issues and blah blah blah, I thought, well, let's go back to the beginning. Let's start at the very beginning of this thing and see what uh, what we might need to know. And so, of course, the beginning of the Constitution is the preamble. The beginning point for this, for the right. Constitution, which you assure me you know. Now, I you're do. Not, you're not going to pull a, uh, a Barney Fife on me here, are you? What is that? Where Barney Fife says, I, I know the preamble to the Constitution. And he starts saying, he says, we the, and Andy has to say, people. <laughs> no. We the people of the. Not one of those. 
No, yeah. not one of those. I just know it. I just know it. All right. I know it on account of the uh, the Schoolhouse Rocks song. Ladies and gentlemen, John Considine and the preamble. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, and ensure domestic tranquility, do ordain and establish... No, I left out a bunch of it, didn't yeah, I? Yeah, you did. No, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> you are going to party fife this, aren't no, you? No, not on purpose, and I was all ready to go, and then he started saying all of that. You threw me off. Are you, wait, are you blaming me for this? Yeah. Establish justice and ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, and promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty for ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States of America. There you go. We'll chop that up so it doesn't sound like he's screwed <laughs> No, that's fine. Fix it on there. <laughs> there it is. The, pod, the preamble to the Constitution of the United States. Uh, <coughs> what do you know about that? Who wrote that? Do you know? I mean, I'm guessing Madison, we, right? We, the people. Madison did not, in fact, write that. No? In point of fact, he did not write those words. Those words were written by one Governor Morris. That's his name, Governor. That's messed up. Well, it was a different time. It was a different era. One of the... Um, one of the interesting things, and, and I get into this argument a lot about the Constitution of the United States, and it, it, there's, a, there's a tendency now to mock the people that wrote the Constitution as a bunch of dead old white guys. Why should we listen to them? Well, these dead old white guys were the leading intellects of their time. They were, contrary to public opinion, they were not all wealthy by any stretch of the imagination. Neither were they all necessarily... Um, George Washington class uh, type of people. In fact, Governor Morris, as we're going to find out, Governor Morris has a wooden leg, John. He has a peg leg. Are you telling me this man is a pirate? Arr! No, he's not a pirate, actually, but he does, in fact, have a peg leg. Now, the official story of how he got the peg leg is that he was involved in a wagon accident and so forth and so on, and he has spent many years with this peg leg, and... Um, you know, he, he he manages, even in 1787, with this disability, to function just fine in society, mm. as we will no doubt learn. And perhaps there's uh, a little bit of a lesson there. What we discover as we study Mr. Morris is that the framers were not this homogenous group of, uh, of rich white guys who hated everybody else and were looking to set up this elitist form of government. They were trying to set up something that would protect the liberty of... Of their children. They were trying to put up something that they knew instantaneously was in danger. And they warned us time and time and time again about the dangers to what they were setting up. And they said over and over and over again the danger to this Constitution, the danger to this government isn't the New World Order, it wasn't the Bilderbergers, it wasn't the United Nations, it wasn't even Barack Obama. Was it Obama's privatized security force taking control in the ghettos? No. no. The danger was we the people. Now, you, you think to yourself, what do you mean? The danger was that we was the people it up. would not take it to our hearts the way we should. We would, not, we would begin to take our freedoms and our liberties for granted. And in doing so, we would begin to... Well, allow those who 
don't have our best interests at heart to manipulate and maneuver things in such a way that our rights and our liberties would be slowly eroded away. You'd be hard-pressed to look at the situation today and go, well, that hasn't happened. You really would. And again, I challenge you, even if you're on the left, even if you are the most staunch believer that, I don't know, pick us up, gun control, even if you are the most staunch believer that guns should be banned, okay, I think you're crazy, but there are people who think that to be the case. Can you look me in the eye and say that the way you do that is not amend the Constitution to ban the guns? Why are you so afraid of doing it that way? Because you see, if we took the time to do it the way we're supposed to do it, it would require thought processes. It would require people to get involved in the discussion. It would require we, the people, to stand up and, and you know actually do the things that we ordained and established, as opposed to simply allowing the Mayor Blombergs of the world to run our lives for us. And perhaps that's why it's important to go back and remind ourselves of the words of, of the preamble. And to take a look at the gentlemen who were involved with writing it. Now, don't get me wrong. Madison was heavily involved with writing the Constitution. There was a committee of five people that really put pen to this. Of those five, Madison was probably the brains of it. But it was Governor Morris who really polished the language. He was the one who really wrote out at the final edit of what was going on. He, John, you would have liked him. He was a wordsmith. As the words, as, as the I was just going to say, it sounds like a man after my own heart, even though he was a peg-legged scumbag. Well, you say that, but... Scalawag. He might have been your kind of scallywag, for all you know. Because the truth of the matter is, he didn't lose a leg in a wagon accident. He lost the leg uh, after he shattered it jumping out of a window. Really? Yes. He was uh, well known for his dalliances. Particularly with married women. Are you telling me that this guy is Han Solo? I am telling you that this guy is very Han Solo-esque. <laughs> this guy is and awesome. That upon jumping out of a window where he was caught in flagrante, if you will, with, sure. a, with a married dalliance, uh, he did in fact shatter his leg and it had to be replaced with a, with a peg leg. Right. And <laughs> that's awesome. But that did not stop him in any way, shape, or form from being the patriot that he was. Now... He went on to, he was, Governor Morris was a fascinating character because he was from New York. He was very pro-independence, very pro-army. He was assigned by the Continental Congress because he couldn't fight. You know, he didn't have a leg. Um, so the, he, went, he was sent to the Continental Congress. The Continental Congress assigned him as their liaison to General Washington and the Army. It was his job to go out and see what the Army needed. He was the advocate in Congress for the Army. He went to Valley Forge. He saw what was going on there. He's the one that went back to Congress and said, hey, we we have to do something here. We can't continue. That place is hellish. Yes. It's, 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 <laughs> if I had a foot, it would have frozen, he might have said. <laughs> Fortuitously, I did not have one. In the process of doing this, however, what little fame and fortune he might have, in fact, started with had been taken away. For you see, his mother, his mother, John, was a loyalist. His mother said no to rebellion and no to independence. And, oh, my son, here, King George, have his home and his property to use as you see fit. 
in the defense of your realm against these rebels. His mother gave away everything he had to the king's troops and said, go kick his hiding. Wow. Think about that when your mother does that. That's messed up, yeah. She's probably she's probably just you know looking out for him though you know where it's like it's like you know oh my my son knows not what he does you know here feel free to avail yourself of all of his things or whatever you know only only keep a you know a, a kind eye right. on him after you crush the rebellion don't shoot him or hang him yeah who knows if she did that or not she was a well known loyalist and because of that he lost pretty much all that he had he continued however to uh, he went into business in Philadelphia. After that point, made a little bit of money. Actually worked with the uh, with the guy, the Samuel Morse, the guy that uh, financed the revolution. Actually worked with him uh, as part of that. Um, but along the way, continued to be even with a peg leg. John continued to be something of a um, of a scallywag, something of a Han Solo a scoundrel, if you will. A if you scoundrel. Will. Yes, uh, a scandalous scoundrel, no less. And it's important that you understand that, not because it's titillating or salacious or any of that, but because you need to understand that our framers were not demigods. They were not perfect men. One of the lessons of the Bible, one of the lessons of the Old Testament in particular, is the fact that it would have been very easy for the writers of the Bible to go, well, let's, let's paint all of our heroes in perfection. They didn't do that. In fact... Virtually everybody you read about in the Bible somewhere along the way is kind of screwed, screwed something up. up. Yeah, well, especially Moses, like one of the greatest heroes of you know of the Old Testament. How about Noah? Yeah, Noah gets drunk, has a little dalliance with his um, you know whomever. Uh, Lot does the same thing. You've got David, of course, uh, commits murder. Uh, Ahab, my favorite character in the Bible, is described by God. Is described by scripture as nobody drove God crazier than Ahab. Really? <laughs> nobody drove God crazier. And I know these people, and, and I'm talking about, to, to me, Ahab is one of the, I suspect, and I don't want to get too theological here, I think Ahab, I think God liked Ahab. I think they, I think he really liked him. But nobody drove him crazier because every time he'd, he'd start doing it right, he'd, old Jezebel would come along and one step forward and two steps yeah, back. Exactly. Sure. And it's fascinating to read this stuff when you, the Bible paints these guys that way for a lesson. Because if, if, if everybody in the Bible was perfect, how the heck would we ever learn anything from? Them? Well, and that's a good point, man, because it's, you know, it's easy to read stories about Superman and see Superman doing these ridiculous things and, and, you know, choosing the right path at all times and that kind of thing and saying to yourself, well, of course he did. He's, he's Superman. But if you look right. at these flawed characters, these people who were just like you, and say these people were capable of great things, and these people were, were, were capable of choosing to do the right thing and to run things properly or whatever. And sometimes that's they did. The, sometimes they did. Yeah. Yeah. Governor Morris is a great example of that. He is a man who is driven by his, let's just call them passions. He, uh, well, he likes the ladies. Cost him his leg doesn't stop him, John. He's in the middle of a revolution. He's lost his home. He's lost his fortune, whatever it was. And he was not a wealthy man to begin with. Um, but he never lost his true underlying principles. One of which was he was one of the few people during the Constitutional Convention to speak out against slavery on record. He was made it very clear that this, this should not be held would never concur to upholding domestic slavery. It was a nefarious institution, he said. 
It was the curse of heaven on the states where it prevailed. Compare the free regions of the middle states, he said, where a rich and noble cultivation marks the prosperity and happiness of the people with the misery and poverty which overspread the barren wastes of the slave states. Upon what principle is it that slaves have been computed in representation? Are they men? That makes them citizens. Let them vote, he said. Are they property? Well, then is no other property included? He was very firm of the fact that he did not want slavery continued. However, at the same time, he was still aristocratic. He believed very firmly that that a strong aristocracy was necessary to the survival of a society. He believed and said over and over again that the poor, because he believed that the poor would, quote, sell their vote to the rich interests, unquote. Now, you can smack your lips and go, well, I'm, what, what a derpy. But, but if you think about what he's if actually you think about saying, what he's saying, is he not correct? Because the knee-jerk reaction there is to be like, what a scumbag. You know, their votes are no good. Now, what he's saying is that if you give them a vote... They're going to vote largesse to themselves out of the treasury. Well, but not even so much that, but as, as much as the, like, the, the weakness of their corruptible by the rich, by people who have their own interests to look out for and say, well, look here, poor people. This was the man this way and make things nice for me. This was the man with all his dichotomies, with all his uh, yings and yangs, with all of the things that were involved here. This is the man who sat down when when the Constitution was almost done and they had to try to bind the whole thing together. They had to explain to people what they're doing. Because keep in mind, Constitutional Convention is completely secret. No one outside of that room knows what's going on. Really? No one, I didn't know that. No one outside of that room is they did not they wanted no outside pressure and keep in mind. You could make an argument, I don't buy the argument, but you could make the argument that what they were doing was illegal under the Articles of Confederation. Although by then they were not sent there to revamp. Right. They weren't sent there to do this. So uh, there are a lot of uh, leftists today who are making that argument, but the, the point being that they didn't want any outside interference until the whole thing was done, and then they would let it stand on its own. Accept it or don't accept it. One of the two. Union or die, basically, is what it was going yeah. to come down to. And in this room, men like Governor Morris, James Madison, who uh, you know is, a, is pretty much a, a Puritan example, George Washington, who... I've said this on numerous occasions. I, I, to me, George Washington is the greatest of all Americans. Benjamin Franklin, considered to be the first American. I like George Washington, because as it turns out, he was uh, not only was he a great man, but he liked to talk rough. And I appreciate that. These men, sitting around, coming up with this idea, arguing it through and through. And fortuitously, there are records of what they said. They did keep those. They just didn't publish them until years later. And you look at these records now and you recognize what these men were thinking, what they were saying, why they were doing it, and how they, they were moved in the ways that had previously never been tried. The ideas that they were coming up with. And yet at the same time, apparently going out after that and uh, having a afternoon's live. It's KFIV Thursday talking about the preamble of the United States Constitution. Text machine 565. Dave, stay with us. We'll be right back.
on a photograph. Yeah, I'm scratching on a thermostat. Yeah, I'm giving up on looking back. Yeah, I'm letting go of what I have. Welcome back to Afternoons Live. Constitution Thursday. We've gone back to the beginning. Taking a lesson from our beloved Inigo Montoya when things go bad, we've gone back to the beginning. We're looking at the preamble of the United States Constitution. We the people. The men who wrote it, as I said to you, were not perfect, John. And I know I seem like I'm fixating on that today, but I, I really need you to understand Because one of the arguments that's being used right now against the Constitution, you go back and read that article from the New York guy about um, why we should just abandon it, is that somehow or another these men have been placed upon a pedestal, which is true, they kind of have been. As somehow or another they thought themselves above you or I, that they were giving you a government that benefited them. That is not the case. They were designing a government to serve their children. And their children's children. And they were concerned that their children and children's children would not take it seriously, would not appreciate it for what it was. And you'd have to, I I don't know how else you could argue that we haven't. And it's our very, it's the very fact that we're avoiding the systems that they put in place for us that is causing us to have the problems today. That's my argument. And I need you to understand that as we go through the rest of this lesson today. By the way, Governor Morton, do you know how he died? No. He died very painfully. He uh, apparently had a urinary tract illness of some type and decided to try to clear whatever it was himself using a whalebone. I think my brain just died. Yeah. It's not the kind of way, it's not the kind of thing you want to think about when you're talking about the framing and the founding fathers. You don't want to think about, well, what's going on here? But, you again, I, I don't tell you this to be salacious. I don't tell you this to be... I tell you this because you need to understand that these are men just like you. They are no different. They have the same passions. They have the same desires. They have the same drives. They have the same... They do the same things in the same ways in the same places with the same results. We are united through them, to them through our blood through our history. They didn't give us a government only for rich white guys. They gave us a government to protect liberty. And that's why it's important that we study them. It's half past. It's Afternoons Live. 565, Dave. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Afternoons Live. KFIV. KWSX, everywhere via the iHeartRadio app. Constitution Thursday, looking at the preamble of the United States Constitution, the beginning. We, the people of the United States. is to establish what's going on. Uh, even back in 1787, in that era, John, uh, people tended to skim things. They didn't necessarily... I mean, nowadays, people read the headlines. There's right. a reason why Twitter is so successful, because people read 140 characters and go, wow, I know everything there is to know <laughs> about a given subject. 
very rarely do they like to uh, delve much deeper than that. So but short even, attention spans not a new thing. It's not a totally new thing. And the purpose of the uh, of the preamble is to kind of get your attention, tell you what's going on, what's following on here. But there is an interesting dichotomy here in that the words of the preamble start with those three words, written larger than all the rest, as James Kirk once said. We, the people. You did it, didn't you? You magnificent bastard. You brought Star Trek into it anyway. You just did it. Um, (laughs) It is an interesting thing because if you stop and think about what was going on here, there was a very firm belief and there was a great deal of outcry over those three words. What do you mean we the people was the anti-federalist position in many ways because the states were considered to be sovereign. And by essentially removing the impetus for the Constitution from the states and giving it to the people, seemingly there is this element here of basically emasculating the states. Now, you know from your studies and from listening to Constitution Thursday for nigh on to four years now that that is, in fact, not what the Constitution says. So why choose we the people? Why go with we the people instead of we the states? Do you think? Well, I think ultimately it was, you know, it was it was up to the people to ensure that the that the document meant anything. You know what I mean? It was it didn't matter which state you belonged to. Uh the 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 things that were that were written that written out there were important regardless of whether you were from, you know, New York or Illinois or, you know, whatever. In in the one sense you are correct. And and on that on a, on that level sure. But it's actually a subtle way of saying something here, isn't it? If you stop and consider what's going on here. How was the constitution approved? Well, it was ratified by the states. But it was established and ordained by we the people. Right. Do you see the difference? Now you say to yourself, well, Dave, you're being pedantic here, but I'm really not being because Governor Morris knew exactly what he was saying here. Yes, the states are, in fact, the sovereign governments that are, in fact, uniting. So he was kind of saying, look, it doesn't matter whether the states go along with it because... Because if you are an American along with the rest of us or whatever, then then this is this this document is important. I want you to think about this for just a minute. Now, you're correct. The states, in fact, didn't have to ratify the Constitution. But listen to the actual words of Article 7, which is what describes the ratification process. Okay. The ratification of the conventions of nine states shall be sufficient for the establishment of this Constitution between the states, so ratifying the same. That's it. That's the entirety of Article 7. Okay. And it's those first few words, isn't it? The ratifications, the ratification of the conventions of the states. In other words, they made it very clear from the word go that they did not want the state legislatures ratifying the Constitution. They wanted everybody to They show wanted up and a talk convention held of the people right. to decide whether the state would ratify it or not. So even though the states were in fact ratifying the Constitution, it was still, even within the individual 13 colonies, it was still we the people 
of each individual state who were deciding whether or not that state would accept it or not. And ultimately, as we know, all 13 did. Now, that took some doing, obviously. There was a great deal of some states were on board right away. Delaware, yippee, we like this. They probably don't have that accent in Delaware, <laughs> no, but no. But I'll take it. As opposed to New York, where it was a touch-and-go situation in New York for, for many, many months as to whether or not it was going to be accepted. And the unwritten truth was that it had to be unanimous. It had to be. If, if, if New York had rejected it, how do you make the union go? How do you force them into the union if they reject the Constitution? You, you really have no means of doing that. So it was kind of a risky maneuver. An extremely risky maneuver. And yet at the same time, the ball is still in the court of we the people. Ultimately, it is still up to we the people. Now it's just we the people of the state of New York, we the people of the state of North Carolina, we the people of the state of Pennsylvania, New Jersey, wherever. These are the folks that are going to do that. The The text of the preamble, of course, has never never been considered to be an active legal part, I guess. is It's not been used to establish authority for any particular branch of the government. It has been used a couple of times, particularly the general welfare clause. What did that mean? Um, and both negatively and positively. There are cases on board where the courts have said, okay, the Fifth Amendment covers taking for eminent domain. But is that really what the framers intended? Did they really think that eminent domain could be done? Well, it says here they wanted to promote the general welfare. We consider that to mean that, yes, they did. Likewise, there are cases where uh, the government has said, uh, how dare you sell that car for less than the price that we've told you to. Therefore, you are in violation of the Commerce Act. And um, blah, blah, blah. And the courts have come back and said, well... You're supposed to regulate interstate commerce, but is that the same thing as ensuring, promoting general welfare? Does that come under that? Is that what they intended for the government to be setting prices of cars? Did they really mean that? No, they didn't. So tough luck, government. You lose. Neener, neener, neener. But they've never used the preamble as the source for that authority. It's always come elsewhere, of course, in the Constitution of the United States. It is, um, it is some of the most beautiful language. I think we've ever seen. And yet at the same time, because, well, really because of that promote the general welfare clause, which has been unfortunately misinterpreted, misapplied, and uh, mishandled throughout history, it has become a source of great argument. It's The easy argument is to say, well, they never meant for welfare in the sense of today. And I would agree with you. I They certainly never meant that. But one of the beauties of the Constitution is that we have been allowed, and the framers did intend for us to be allowed, to interpret and apply it as we needed throughout our history. Welfare, in this case, clearly does not mean cash benefit payments to people who are otherwise addicted to government aid. None of the framers would have been happy with that situation. None of them would have accepted that situation. But until and unless we can come up 
with a situation in, in our cases where we're going to be able to, this is, this is what we were talking about all along. This is what they feared. Rather than standing up as we should have and saying, no, that is not what the framers, and that's not, that does not guard our liberty. How does welfare take away your liberties, you might ask? Well, you really can't give something to someone else without taking it from the first person. Did the framers intend for you the fruits of your labors to be taken in that manner? You'd have a hard time arguing that they did. If you choose to give, that's your business. And certainly I would encourage that. But in the taking, liberty was taken as well. And rather than following the procedure, rather than following the proper way to, to, to amend the Constitution, we simply allowed it to be sidestepped. And this is what those men feared above all else. And it's what they were trying to say to us. That's why they clearly established what they intended for this thing to be. It's Afternoons Live's Quarter Till, 565-Dave, 565-3283. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Intriguing to me that the men who wrote the Constitution were so clear in their language and so clear in what they meant. And, and, and it's not like we're dealing with Mayans here. We're not dealing with Egyptian hieroglyphics. We're not, we, we don't have, it's not that we don't have their commentary. It's not that we don't have their words saying their this is what we not, meant. They're not what mysterious, we said. right? And yet we've still managed to interpret that away from there and it, this is what scares me and this is um we the people of the united states to form this government to form this more perfect union establish justice sure domestic tranquility Are, aren't these things we want now right could you make an argument that we have some real serious issues with justice in our country today sure dude could you make an argument that we have a real problem with domestic tranquility for sure the common defense general welfare then you get to this part securing the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity you could make an argument that we have pretty much failed on all of that but the question then becomes why have we failed have we failed because the document as some would tell us is inherently flawed by a bunch of dead old white guys who own slaves or has the document failed because we the people did not Pay attention to it. Again, maybe you believe that guns should be banned. Maybe you believe that there should be a universal right to marry whomever. If that's the case, why not put that in the Constitution? Why not amend the Constitution? Why not spell it out? This is what we mean. Because see, here's the insidious danger of what's happening here. See, the president got up yesterday and started talking about, oh, we have to save our children. We have to do this for our children. The vice president said the same thing. 
He mentioned in his speech that those who had been tragically shot and killed had been denied their destiny, their right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And so his solution to that was to reduce your rights, restrict your liberties, in order to accomplish what? No one with the common sense that God gave gravy can point to any successful gun control system that reduces crime. It simply doesn't exist. It's a fact. So we can drop that little argument. Said it, but he doesn't understand. Denied the right of self-determination, which is what liberty means. To pursue the happiness in our own lives. It denies us our liberties by these outside forces deciding what is best for us. Do we really need Congress to decide what pills we can take, what food we can eat, how fast we can drive? When they do that, they deny us those liberties. And it's, it's no different. It's really no different whatsoever than all the way back to the... Uh, to the 1640s when Galileo was imprisoned. What was his crime? You remember? His crime was eh, the, uh, the earth goes around the sun. Defying convention. Well, that's not what's best for us. That's not what's best for the people. We got we to gotta silence that and let it throw his ass in jail. The, the liberty that we were sought wasn't in, in the sense of Nobody that framed the Constitution believed in hedonistic society. Governor Morris may have been a bounder, but he even he understood that there was a certain decorum that had to be maintained. He believed that there had to be a set piece of society in order to, for, for, to survive. Nobody was advocating every man does what's right unto himself. No one said, oh, there shouldn't be laws. No one said, oh, well, we can't change anything. But they did understand that once the procedure for changing it wasn't followed anymore, liberty would begin to be lost. I challenge the president and those of you that agree with him. Let's have that debate. Do you want gun control? Fine. Pass an amendment to the Constitution. I I feel like Congress could could throw it out there to the states. Let's see what the we the people of the states in our conventions say. If you're afraid to do that, then don't tell me that you believe in the words we the people of the United States. Because you don't. You don't believe it. They gave us something that could be changed. They meant for us to change it. And that's the lesson for today. Back in 60 seconds. So for those of you that are texting me and asking me about Governor Morris's death, yeah, that really is how he died. I had to Wikipedia it. Oh, you don't even have to. You can go to... I'm just saying, it's, yeah. it was right there. Yeah. A whalebone into his urinary Rita. tract. 
That's not a good way to go. Either. The whalebone in the pee that, hole. Can you imagine how much pain you had to be in to go, this is a good yeah, idea? Yeah, here's the solution. This. Yeah. No. Not going to work. Tomorrow, uh, of course, is Friday. Anyway, folks, that's the challenge I give you. If we want to change things, fine. But let's change it by the procedure. Not allowing someone to fiat change it. Somebody signing 23 executive orders doesn't get that. Sorry, they just don't. And it's funny that they call themselves a constitutional scholar. Tomorrow we got fun with news, John, and then uh, in the 5 o'clock hour, Denver Fowler is going to join us from the Museum of the Rockies. He'll actually be in the lab, John. We will be talking to him as he is staring at hopefully a a Triceratops skull. That's pretty exciting. I'm really jazzed about this. Dinosaur day tomorrow on Afternoon's Live. It's about the only reason I would give up that really excellent top five topic. That'll be uh, coming up tomorrow on the big show. Take the time right now. Tell the people that matter in your life you love them very much. You'd miss them if they weren't there. So don't pass up those opportunities. Don't want to have that regret. I'm Dave Diamond. That's John Considine. We will see you tomorrow for a fun Friday episode of Afternoons Live right here on KFIB 1360 AM Modesto, KWSX 1280 AM Stockton. Of course, everywhere via the iHeartRadio app on your smartphone. Have a great night. See you tomorrow. Stay tuned. Rusty's next. Afternoons Live is a Slippery Fish Entertainment production for Clear Channel Media and Entertainment Modesto.